You're listening to The Lit Review, a podcast where organizers interview organizers about books. In this moment of urgency, mass political education is key. We recognize that political study is not always accessible for a variety of reasons. Our goal with The Lit Review is to be a resource that brings out key information from relevant books to the masses. Think Sparknotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad, and thank you for listening to The Lit Review. This is Paige. Welcome to the Lit Review. Today we have Jason Perez on the show talking about a book called Political Process. Uh, oh no, what is it called? Political Processes and the Development of Black Insurgency by Doug McAdam. And I've known Jason for a couple of years. He's someone that I always have turned to for questions about organizing. Uh, really, really brilliant. Jason, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Hey, what's up, everyone? Um... Yeah, my name is Jason Perez. Um, I've been an organizer for, I think, about 16 years now, um, but a happily retired organizer, <laughs> and um, doing what all good organizers do, which is then go into the academy um, and, and live off of that authenticity <laughs> so that people cannot question what I say at panels. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Jason will be bringing sarcasm today. <laughs> um, can you talk about why you picked this book? Yeah. Um, so I think I found this book on accident. Um, I think it was at Powell's. I'm um, mm-hmm. just like looking through, um, yeah, looking through the books. And then I think it has in the title, right? It has like, it has, yeah, but. I think what got me was like black insurgency. Mm-hmm. Like that was like the I was like, oh man, I love black insurgency. Um, <laughs> and but no, because a lot of times social movement books, right? Usually, at least how I was taught is like you know you read history books of social movements, you read theory and critical theory or philosophy of social movements, and you read like a lot of biography and autobiographies of like social movement actors and like all the things that they did and like um and i think i kind of like run the course on those kind of books um throughout organizing because i I only got to this book i was like maybe four or five years ago at the most right this is like it's, it's actually a fairly recent book in terms of like for for when i was organizing and um and it really spoke to me and i think one thing that really spoke to me was like there was like this chart and um <laughs> and um, i think it's it's the chart that like that is kind of like conditioned like all of my work mm-hmm. posting in this chart where it was just like it was just this this chart of like social movement activity from like um from 1954 and, um, and, uh, when, you know, when desegregation happened yeah, and then it shows when the Montgomery bus boycott happens and there's like this blip of like direct actions going on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course the chart is tied to the New York times index. Right. So, you know, it has its issues, but like, you know, like in sociology, you have to like kind of stick to one index and, and then it like, it shows like this huge spike in like, you know, 63, 64, 65. Um, oh, and there was a pretty big spike in like 60, 61, which mm-hmm. was like when SNCC was forming, like when the sit-ins start happening. 
Um, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then, you know, they go, it goes on to just to explain um, how that chart is a big deal and, like, you know, how these moments of disruption are important. Um, kind of getting off point here. But so I, I, I just felt like, oh, this is a book that kind of, that explains, that does a good synthesis of, like, history um like analytics or metrics that you learn in organizing and like i think in more kind of like broader big scale organizing you know like so when i was at seiu you know usually you're thinking of like organizing anywhere you know when we talk about a base and like in labor usually talking anywhere from like a thousand to you know seventy thousand or bigger you need two hundred thousand right like that's Mm -hmm. like the scale you're thinking of it's Mm -hmm. not like community orgs where it's like Let's get our 500 members out or whatever, you know? So, um, and that's like what's considered base building. So it just, all those things spoke to me. Um, and so, and then I liked how he spoke about political processes. And also, I guess, and I didn't know this at the time reading a book, but there was like a lot of, in the social science literature, there, there was a lot of, on social movements, there was a lot of, work around resource mobilization theory right which is the idea that like um people get a ton of resources right Mm -hmm. communities that are normally marginalized get a lot of resources and then they're able to act on um act out they have the means then to be able to like resist and fight because they have all these resources right and that's Mm -hmm. basically resource mobilization theory some of it's like through like you know, collective self-help through some of it is through like, um, you know, like foundations, some of it's through government things and government interventions or social, you know, democratic policies that, that give folks more money. Um, and, and that's where the, the literature was going. And, and so Doug just kind of stepped in and said, no, that doesn't quite make sense. Cause like, you know, you have times where like, you know, economies are actually more egalitarian and you don't see like, you know, people shutting stuff down. Oh, can you swear? Or, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, like you don't, you don't, you don't see like people like like shutting shit down. Like you don't, you don't see all this activity, um, and there's actually really not a strong correlation there. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so so then that's where he kind of starts getting with the idea of like a, a political opportunity structure, right, and a collective action um, opportunity, which is the idea that that. There's, there's certain levels of discourse that has to happen and there has to be an understanding that if I go out there and take this risk collectively and individually, there's going to be a certain amount of political reward, not in a self-interested sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that it will be meaningful to moving along this thing called social change, right? So something like 54 all of a sudden is that, right? Um, in terms of desegregation, right, which is kind of like, which is becomes like the signal of, if we keep on doing these kind of activities, there is, there, there is political opportunities out there that where we will start to consistently get rewarded, mm-hmm. right, um, and so that's what Doug emphasizes, saying that it's about political opportunity structures, and then he goes on to say though that political opportunity structures are either you know moments that happen to you. Or moments that you can create right so like um, you know one that happens to you is the Supreme Court saying right you can desegregate schools ones that you create though are um, the Montgomery bus boycott mm-hmm. um, and 
And I just felt like that was just a simpler, easier framework for me. Um, I felt like it wasn't as dependent on like, oh, will people get these things or not get these things? Um, and then also I think, which, you know, I've got a lot of freedom does some of this work. Um, oh man, God forgive me. I think his name is Alden Morris does some of this work. Um, which is, he's a scholar who did most of like the early kind of social movement theory, civil rights. Um, you know, what happened in the South to cause this thing and he kind of centers it all in, ch in churches. Um, which then... Charles Payne kind of moves against saying that it's actually, you know, activists are the ones that move these churches mm -hmm. to action, not like that churches were innately these places where that, you know, arguing that churches actually were very conservative spaces that didn't want to take positions and take stands. Um, and those organizers stepping in and, and making the churches take these stands due to being able to move the congregation. Um, and so... Yeah, so that stuff was dope. Sorry, I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I'm yeah, gonna, yeah, I have a random yeah. anecdote. It's not yeah. random. So I yeah. didn't realize this, but I remember when you read this, were reading this book, and you saw that chart. And so I, yeah, I was, I was there, and I, um, yes. so I, this was at a point when I'm like just starting to like start really start to organize and, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. be aspiring towards that. And I, yeah. and I'm, it's, I'm also trying to read a lot. And I remember, I don't know what I was reading, but I'm sure it was like. Yeah, more like freedom dreams, like that, you know, like yeah. historical narrative <laughs> yeah, yeah, of like yeah. what happened. And it was helpful, and those books are important, absolutely. Yeah, and, they, and I think, yeah. But I remember you being looking, showing me this chart, and, and I knew it was important, but I didn't quite gather. I was like, but it's a chart. <laughs> None of my books have charts. And this, and, 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 I, and I, at the time, it, but it, it was so important, and, I, and I've thought about that so much over the past several years, yeah. and that chart has come to mean more and more and more to me over time, and I think particularly when, when we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and all the things that have been going on over the past year, you know, there's a lot of comparisons that get, get made, and that's always... Uh, it's it's useful to some extent because I think it helps people understand the seriousness of the situation and to feel like they're a part of something important and that it's worth the struggle. Um, but history is always, you know, we're, we're, things aren't the same and we have to yeah. be careful of, of how we compare ourselves. But also that that in that chart, what you, I remember you emphasizing is like there was so much going on. Like that that every event I had ever been to at that point, every political event I'd been to in the past two years was like two weeks worth of the civil rights movement. And, and that <laughs> point that you made, and I'll never forget that, right? Of just like all those moments where I felt power in our movement and just trying to imagine, and, and we have had power, right? That power yeah. is real and I think, uh, but, but I guess that chart, how I remember it and what I'm hearing you say now is it's just that you had so many things going on and you had so many different kinds of organizations that were able to work together in ways that I don't, I don't necessarily see right now happening in the same ways. Um, to make sure that, that there was a consistent kind of disruption taking place. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're also saying, though, that it was like, it helped to create that strain, right, to, to assert that disruption, but also that people were able to believe, or I don't know if, it, are you saying it, it helped people believe that change was possible, or it required people believe that change was possible? Um, I think, and I'm forgetting how, how Doug like, qualifies it, yeah, I think it's 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 I yeah I'm pretty sure it's just it's just a belief right okay. right 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 that that if um, that even if you don't get that reward you still feel affirmed that you've done something that mm -hmm. was meaningful and actually worthwhile yeah. and worth like 
not doing a bunch of other stuff, right? Because be, 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 because the conundrum within like social movement literature always is is that like, right? So five people go out and try to register to vote in in mm-hmm. the deep south, right? Mm-hmm. And they end up not being registered. Mm-hmm. So then how do you turn around and get more people to do that? And then how do you, you know, and how do you have that moment where um, once upon a time, only one person would do it every three months. And then all of a sudden you're having, you know, 300 people doing it within three months. And, 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 all, and, all, and, and if anything, you're seeing an intensification of like cops coming and like, you know, like more disciplinary power and like all, all these different things coming towards you. Um, and so he argues that through, not through resource mobile like not that there's more resources available or like you know if they lose their job they'll still have this and this and this to fall back on he argues that um because you know for some people that's true but for a overwhelming majority of those people they don't necessarily have they, they didn't have like more resources to fall back on that would take care of like a whole bunch of people like um you know going through what they go through um he argues that no that they believe that political opportunities were were available to them, and that they'd be valid, and that you know they would you would be able to see some sort of fundamental change mm-hmm. um, within the process of what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you know people don't normally go out with a chart and figure out <laughs> if I do these set of whatever actions, yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, it's you know it's just like going to a job or just like doing anything else. You don't. You know, it, it's front loaded with like, with what you're going out there for. You're not, you're not like, very conscious about like I expect this reward or da da da. You know, whenever um, you know we have our things downtown, right? Um, we don't think then like once we go downtown, have this mobilization, da da da, and all these people. You know, a lot of times they have like just these very emotional things of like I needed to be around people. I needed to like feel this. I needed to do this. You know. Um, so, you know, it's not like this, like, kind of linear logic-based thing, you know, um, and it, you know, it's hard for the kind of social science to, 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 I guess, qualify that, quantify that, but I feel like it, it tells a lot more than resource mobilization, which I just feel like, you know, people who are oppressed always have, you know, these variations of, like, when resources are great. <laughs> resources are bad and then they still are able to sustain or not sustain movements you know i i, I just don't see like a solid correlation with that at least in from what i've studied at this point okay yeah. so what's the what 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 does the book say like how then do you well i guess yeah like what what is the advice then yeah so i i think it's important so the book is i think it's you know the book is i guess descriptive rather than prescriptive mm-hmm. um you know, I think a book like this is an up, uh, uprising is actually more prescriptive. Like mm-hmm. they've said, like so this is the model you can tease off from books like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, they use books like this and Francis Fox Piven and, and, and other folks. Um, I think though, what you can get from the book though, on a personal level, is um, first of all understanding the size and the scale of uh, of the civil rights movement and the Black freedom movement. Um, and I think that's very important. Even when you think about like the four lead organizations that Doug McAdams identifies, and that's not and that's not to say those are the only organizations, right? But you know he identifies Core, SNCC, SCLC, and NAACP, and that's not to say those are the only organizations. But um, I think it was just probably easier to do good research on on them to find to find the materials you needed to. But 
I think, right, these are all organizations that are either committed to being national or regional, right? So, and I think that's super important that just starting out with that mindset um, and that commitment, um, that they understood that their struggle was, um, was national and they had to coordinate and act nationally. Um, that's not, that doesn't mean like you don't dedicate certain resources to certain regions at certain times and move around and da da da, da right? But they're always thinking at that level and moving at that level. Um, so, yeah, so I think that, that that's what moved me from, I think, you know, non-labor work being like, oh, when we make organizations, when we do work, we have to nationalize or regionalize, you know, and like, that's just if we expect to hit that scale, you know? Um, I think the other thing was a deep commitment to skill building that you had to, and, you know, what Doug is able to do with, with like the institutional framework is that, you know, what you have is then these institutions that have sets of skills or that you can transfer skills to these folks in a pretty efficient, concrete way. Um, and that's particularly the skills of either voter registration or um, civil disobedience. I mean, at that time, voter registration was a form of civil disobedience. But, you know, civil disobedience in terms of, like, you know, what we think of it now. I think the other thing, though, too, is, and, yeah, I forgot about this, is the point of insurgency, right? And him defining it as insurgency, which is different from a lot of social movement literature, and him centering the idea of ins- oh should I stop this before okay sorry um, <laughs> so sorry no not <laughs> and and that's very important because I think only Francis Fox Piven kind of really hits this point a lot you know um, but it's the idea that movements had to focus themselves on like how do you make the conditions ungovernable for the powers they be right. And that it's not about, you know, me coming into organizing, right? It was always about, like, you have the demand or you have the issue. Um, you have to have this coherent campaign. And it's got to, like, find the target. And you find, like, that one target over there. And then da-da-da-da, right? Um, and, what this did, and what this book did in particular for me, because even I've got the light of freedom, kind of like tends to, you know, it does, you know, I've got the letter for him, does like the whole mobilizing versus organizing thing and that, you know, it valorizes like the deep organizing of Mm -hmm. in the Mississippi. That's what was like the transformational moment. And then it kind of like pushes the other half of SNCC, which was like direct action, like crunk, like just like, (laughs) they just love themselves on some direct, like random direct actions that lack coherence at times and lack like any like future plan outside of like that week <laughs> or um and also then like you know um SCLC's variety of like uh, 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 movement work and some factions of course movement work um which is like disruptive heavy action heavy um we're not trying to embed ourselves here for like you know years or like or even months you know like it you know wasn't that and 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 so and i and i think currently there's been always this real big emphasis on like we got to get in deep with folks 
you gotta like be like a part of and like inside the community and then like there will be like this flowering of a moment um and i and i and i think like you know books like mcadams kind of contest that point of view that um there can be outsiders there can, and as long as they build a meaningful relationship with the folks um who are quote unquote on the ground i don't necessarily like the term but that um you know first of all a lot of disruptive power can happen people will act out of their own what they believe to be their own self-interest collective interests um but then also that you can build real confrontational power and disruptive power that then chart that then causes you know in our sense right a, a federal government and local governments to change their policies to change fundamentally change their legislation um i think yeah and I, and i think you know it gets minimized but it it is important to say that you know the what McAdams is covering right is um you know is why we have the right to vote you know as black people um is why we have even just kind of basic civil rights legislation that you know and and i think it's important also to note then right that like so it took like basically it being impossible to govern and the national guard having to be consistently brought in and what we start to see become right the militarization of police right because the militarization of police as we understand it nowadays and the expansion of jails and prisons to be able to take in prisoners um i would argue i mean i think dan berger argues a little bit of this in captive nation but i i would argue fundamentally comes from the insurgencies in the south right um and one of the strategies that was used in order to contain dr king in albany right which was you know one of the sheriffs had a smart idea of like putting him putting all the prisoners in all these all these jails around around albany right but normally most local jails just aren't big enough for if you are able to convince like a thousand people mm-hmm. let let's turn this up they usually can't contain it right like most most jails most prisons they're just not designed for that mm-hmm. um and so you see this shift in terms of upping the amount of people that you have capacity to jail for a prison and also then upping the the type of quote-unquote artillery and things that police actually have um i think you know if you get if you watch um eyes on a prize right you'll see like the 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 artillery kind of tank thing and that was into and they got in the south and mississippi got that in anticipation jackson got that in anticipation of freedom summer right um mm-hmm. and so in and so all those insurgencies all that movement work um what resulted from it, right? I mean, just like the, and some people would say that was a slight amount of change, other people would argue it's a big amount of change. Um, I, I think both sides have points to it, right? But, but I think what's more important is that in order to get a federal government and, a local, and local governments to actually change policy in fundamental ways, um, you had to have at least that. Like that. That was and 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 what that being the unpredictability yeah. of yeah 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 and and the and the level of sustained disruption throughout right that 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 was 
that that actually was the baseline and I think and for me that's what I got out of out of McAdams book was just that like that actually has to be the baseline that that's not like that's not the end point mm. that's not the that if you don't have a baseline of that then you have no position to negotiate to bargain you know whether you believe in liberalism and you believe in liberal capitalism, like someone like, like, like someone like my mom, right? Like, you know, who believes in Barack Obama, who believes in whatever, and, um, you know, was excited to see the first black mayors or, like, excited. So, you know, whether you believe that Ford Foundation should dump a bunch of money in Cleveland to get the first black mayor, mm-hmm. right? If you're part of that project, if you want that project as, like, a liberal, you have to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, 600 actions, um, quantified by the New York Times that causes local governments and federal governments to not be able to govern, right? And businesses not to operate, right? Like, in order to get that. If you want, like, um, you know, some sort of, like, Maroonish dream or some sort of, like, you know, succession of the South. Um, and if you, and I would even argue, if you want armed insurgency, right? That you cannot get serious about the idea of armed insurgency if you can have folks, if A, you don't have a government that's on its, that, that's on its heels and not able to respond properly and, and is not able to govern at the time. Um, and also that more importantly that if you don't have a bunch of people who are used to being able to coordinate the actions consistently um, in mass, collectively, able to take direction, able to follow through on direction, able to think strategically and act strategically and tactically in the manner that direct action requires for, for you. Um, and um, so, you know, I, I always see the relate, you know, for first of all, I always see like the, the nonviolent versus violent divide is, is actually a bogus divide. Um, you know, the state understands civil disobedience, particularly black civil disobedience as violence, yeah. right? Um, you don't get an artillery truck in Jackson, Mississippi, um, cause you're expecting, you know, unless you don't, you don't understand it as that. And, um, in Eyes on a Prize, actually, there was an interesting, there was this white lady who was like, and I think it was like the Memphis Citizens in her beginning. And she was just, she was like, they're, you know, they're acting like this is nonviolent. I find it if they want to like sit down. Da, 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 and like doing this thing like to me that feels violent yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like a white woman having to eat lunch with a black person yeah, form of, she's yeah. losing her rights yeah, yeah 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 and she saw that as violent yeah. actually because and, 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 and her point actually is that you know she's trying to critique the idea of like no this is coercive power causing me to not <laughs> do things that I want to do right so she understands coercive power as, as violence right and other people make that argument you know uh, other folks of course didn't understand coercive power it, in that matter um but so and so i think i mean back to the book though i think that's what the book allowed me to understand was that um that this is the baseline and that all the things that i was being taught up until now um about co campaigns with demands about issue-based organizing um and about how you get to them, right? Which is like, you know, you have these like little actions. You, when you do direct action, it's like very, very targeted. It's very, very finite. You get in on this thing, you go after the person, you get them to like, you know, you're shaking the tree, all of a sudden like the, the goods drop. And then, um, 
and that that was just basically all wrong that like what we needed to be teaching folks is and having folks think too because i you know i think that that's the other thing too is that like the interpretations of what happened back then and then and so how we understand our organizing now and activism now is we don't quite we don't quite understand how to qualify and quantify it so we're kind of we're teaching ourselves and i believe we're teaching ourselves and, and, and pulling the wrong lessons from it and that's on the, you know on the organizing end right you have like this deep organizing big base building um You know, you know, strong relationship building, which is all important, right? And not to take away from that. And then usually like single issue campaigns, and then on activism, um, you know, you you have you know even what you saw with like the WTO work, which is a commitment to disruption, right? But no relation to like base, no you know totally untethered from base, and um, no real ability to sustain it outside of like a little small faction that like that knows these skills knows how to do these skills and also i mean what you're seeing nowadays too is like this like really deep kind of specialization of contentious direct action i think even like um the folks who just did like the blocking engines for the inauguration mm -hmm. and stuff like that dope action phenomenal we need more of it um you know what we lack right now is like is is a way to be able to communicate it so they can go to scale um and even um, the kind of thing of like, hey, we're going to be doing this, you know? Um, you know, what's so interesting about like the sit-ins and all these insurgencies, it was like um, people usually knew about them and they were going to do them. And so like, and I, I don't know how you get around that. I don't know what that means. I mean, the landscape has changed because of what happened. I mean, the, the era that, that Doug is going over. Um, I forgot the other part. Well, uh, so I think, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of questions. One of the things that I think you're, sort of connecting into now is like um so so i have organized for the past couple of years like really focusing on um yeah like a direct action which which in our case has meant right like usually we're shutting something down like a street right an event um a, a parade things like that and and part of the issues that we run into in doing that is that um, there's very few people who know how to lead those things. And so the, yeah, the people yeah. that have been leading them, like myself, are burnt out. Yeah. Um, the other, and so, the, yeah, so, and you name that, that's why training people in those things is so important. The other thing is that they're very close because of security culture, right? We can't announce that we're doing it. We're relying on the same people to come and do the thing. Um, and when we aren't focusing on building a base, right? So. Uh, and you're, you've hit on this a lot, right? It feels like there's this this binary of like you either are doing direct actions a lot um, or just a little, right? Or you're like in the hood organizing people on a block by block level. And to not have that deep organizing feels like you might be able to build up disruptive power, but your strategy will be misinformed by the lack of who is in the room and who is who is guiding that movement. And I think and that's a that's a real tension that we're always having to work through and, and maybe it's not an either or, but our capacity makes it feel like that. Is that a fair assessment of like what you're speaking about? Yeah. Um no it is. It is yeah, I mean I definitely don't think it's either or. Yeah. Right? Well I think it's two things, right? Whether it's quote unquote deep organizing or it's like, um, you know, kind of like more direct action, spontaneous react, uh, reaction to things. Um, I think either, either or burns you out. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, 
And and also too, you know, I, I you know, and I you know, I, I could be wrong for saying this, but you know, I, um, you know, class differences do matter, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I I think you know, deep organizing is kind of oversold the, you know, salt of the earth, the people in the hood who then come out of that process and are empowered and know how to do A, B, and C, right? And, you know, I, I don't think the reason why we only really know Fannie Lou Hamer, I don't think that's not for lack of trying to find other figures that kind mm-hmm. of represent that mm-hmm. or epitomize that. Um, these are, this is usually work that hits an intersection of folks who are, um, they're not, they're not decidedly middle class where then they can usually be, um, they have a much easier track to like corporate power or, mm-hmm. or state power and professionalized positions. Da, da, da. They're usually in between. Um, and by in between like middle class and, you know, upper social status in terms of access to um, being successful in academia, being successful in the corporate world or being successful in government. Um, and and they usually have then enough time um, and also the skills developed in, in, into them to kind of take this detour with, with their life. And, and I think that that's the other thing that people should be very clear on is that these are huge detours for like a whole bunch of people. Um, you know, the core group of SNCC, this was a detour through from their life. There was not... Um, SCLC was a detour, right? LCLC dwarfed and, and died a fairly quick death mm-hmm. after the height of movement activity. Um, and, you know, it was only positioned how it was because of Bayard Rustin, Ella Baker, um, and some could argue the leadership of, of Martin Luther King. Um, that, and, and by that I mean that the, the normal orientation of priests or pastors, probably said that wrong, um, clergy, um, of churches, um, is not to run an organization like SCLC. Right. Like, it, yes. it, 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 that, that, that's just not there for them. And so, I think, so I guess what I'm arguing is, A, the uniqueness of the moment, the uniqueness of the individuals that are there, I think that's important to hold on to. But I think there's things that are, like, things you can't replicate, right? But I think there's there's also aversions that we have in the movement or things that we want to essentialize and valorize, which especially once you get to social science literature, it's just like they have, you know, it, it, it kind of like speaks, it's just like there's no other way to explain these things, right? Like um, the, the, Doug McGinnis has another book called Freedom Summer, and it's just kind of like, and I mean, it's really good, it, 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 it's really good, um, it's, it's an eth- ethnographic study of everyone who was in most of the people in Freedom Summer mm-hmm. and, and what happened to them and where they're at now and their thoughts on it. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's, it's like 50 stories of burnout, um, basically. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, the overall theme is just like, they would have not not done it, okay. right? Like, I mean, they just like, like, they all agreed it was a fundamentally life-changing event. Um, that has changed the orientation of how they see themselves, how they see the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, oh man, where was I going with that? I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I was just, I'm, I, so I, I'm trying to like, I don't even know what my question, I guess like, 
Oh, 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 oh. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. yeah. So, 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 it's the idea is that like, but, but when you read through, when, when you when you read through Freedom Summer, when you read through this, even when you read through I've Got the Light of Freedom, it's just kind of like, well, you know, I don't know how you do this outside of getting like five hundred to six hundred folks who should be in college or should mm-hmm. be pursuing a career after college um, in the Deep South, right? That's, that, that, that's not to say Amzi Moore wouldn't have been there, Satama Clark wouldn't have been there, all these other actors, there, they were there before, and, and shit didn't hit the fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely contentious, but you needed other folks to come in, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that right now I feel like that we do have a movement that, um, you know, does to a certain degree fetishize finding the salt of the earth person or like working with those kind of folks as they claim then to like authentic organizing right Mm -hmm. and and um and here i'm not arguing there's not that this is the real authentic organizing i'm just saying that like debates about authentic organizing salt of the earth person really misses the point that like if you want to have a successful movement um you have to have significant working class significant unemployed and significant middle class involvement that, that like that, that that's the baseline um, in sustained mass disruption yeah yeah in sustained yeah 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 in sustained mass disruption that that's like that now i am i think deborah gao deborah gold deborah gao deborah gold um sorry um i think she wrote moving politics or emotion politics it, it, uh-huh. it, it's a history of act up and she's making an interesting argument on um, and she comes from also the social science end of, of social movement um, um, histories and, th- and theory. Um, she's making an interesting argument about how radical social service access, and that was, I don't even know if it was radical, I mean, it was just, there was just no social services for people with AIDS. Um, but kind of like off the ground, non-professionalized social services. Mm-hmm. That, that those networks then began to foster what became of ACT UP, yeah. and what we now know of ACT UP, right? That, 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 that's where you got those networks. But she doesn't argue that then that was the moment of causation or correlation. She just, she just argues that it laid, it laid a network foundation. It's just similar to, I think, what you could argue with churches mm-hmm. um, and other like civic organizations in the South, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that, that was and then that, that was essential. Just like, you know, people could argue and do argue and I think it's right. Citizenship schools did that for, for black freedom movement work. Um, but I think sometimes my issue is is that like that gets made as like that that citizenship schools, freedom schools mm-hmm. or radical social services, that gets made as like a, that it's either essential, which I don't know if it's essential yet. That's just me. I don't know if it's essential. Um, but that even that it's not essential, that then that is what will give you the moment of fundamental social change. Mm-hmm. Or that by doing that, you will have like major parallel universe and da-da-da. And, and, and I think this is what Doug's book does, is that it says very clearly, but Francis Fox Piven also does too very clearly, is this that like, no, the, the only way you get social change, whether it's, whether you believe in black power autonomous or you liberal change or some sort of social change, um, 
is through insurgency and through confrontation. Um, to this episode of The Lit Review. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Tune in next week at thelitreview.org to listen to part two of our interview with Jason Perez. Keep reading.